Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Darren Chesworth. So Darren is the Deputy Head of the Sport and Nutrition Department at the University College Birmingham and there he ensures that the next generation of strength and conditioning coaches have all of the skills that they need to become expert practitioners. So who better today to discuss how you can improve your S&C skills than Darren? So without further ado, it's time to welcome him onto the show. So Darren, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hi Matt, thank you very much. Uh, it's an absolute privilege to be uh, to be invited and looking forward to it. Excellent, mate. Excellent. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yep. Uh, Darren Joseph, obviously. So um, I've got my sort of background in strength and conditioning, working in academy football uh, predominantly, but also bits and pieces in some racket sports so my sort of sport growing up was badminton um and that's obviously sort of given me the interest in uh, racket sports i've done a little bit of work in badminton tennis and uh transitioned into academia now so working on undergraduate and postgraduate strength and conditioning programs at uh ucb university college birmingham which is great fun Absolutely. And so you're obviously getting students ready for the, the world of strength and conditioning. And we're going to discuss today how you can yeah, build your knowledge base and, and work your way up into a job in strength and conditioning. So obviously, that's a, it's a really good match. But before we get into that, I'm really interested to hear, like, what's the history of strength and conditioning? Why is it popular? Like, what's what's the whole S&C thing going on at the moment? Because I think it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a job for a long time without necessarily having that title. And now it's quite formalized. It's like a, it's one of the pathways you can um, you can get into in sport with sports science or nutrition, whatever. So can you talk us through a little bit how that's developed, what it is and uh, why it's so popular? Yeah, absolutely. So it's very common, I think, for a lot of people that potentially are like aspiring athletes themselves and then don't quite make it but sort of see the the joy, the pleasure that you get from uh, the training, being in that environment, and therefore a lot of people might fall back into it, given that interest of their own training, and they want to go and upskill within that. And I think um, a lot of people maybe fall into it just from their own interests in maybe being in the gym and that strength training and looking to develop themselves. But it's, it's obviously sort of been growing and growing, as you say. Um, so if we look back, sort of years and years ago there's loads of information regarding the use of strength training the use of olympic weightlifting um to my understanding there's the first sort of paid strength coach position back in 1969 um boyd epley so that sort of came about from um working in the gym whilst he was injured and some people sort of picking up on what he was doing um so some american football players and once they were sort of injured, they were in the weights room or the the gym, however you want to sort of uh, phrase it. And there was no guidance. So um, he gave them a little bit of uh, information and instruction on what sort of things to do. And when they were actually got back fit, went back into their sort of normal training, the, the coach identified, oh, these guys are flying. They're, they're far better than that, my actual team. Um so conversations, I believe, started going, and that then sort of led to um, Boyd being contacted by the assistant coach. And um, I think the risk was then taken after a couple of conversations to say, right, okay, well, can you do this for the rest of the team? Um, 
I think there was a stipulation, look, if you get any men players injured, you're fired. Um, and I think that was sort of where he didn't really know he had a job. He was like, okay, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'll take it. And they went on to be very successful. So, uh, like, that season, I think they're very successful. And that um, sort of led to lots of other um, colleges uh, employing strength coaches. Um, and that sort of led to the creation or the formation of the NSCA in 1978. And that's obviously just grown and grown and grown as a huge sort of um, base now for lots of information, lots of networking. You see all the conferences, opportunities, the continuing education opportunities that are going on, um, jobs that come out of it. So that's obviously one professional body there. And then there's multiple now internationally that you can draw your evidence from and sort of network within. Absolutely excellent. So why, why is it then a, a popular field to be in? Like obviously long hours, poor pay, sounds great, right? Like why why do people want to do it? Yeah, when you put it like that, you do question that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Questioning a lot of decisions I've made in my life until now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I want to be in this now. No, no, of yeah. course no. It's, uh, it's just that environment, I think, isn't it? It's, you, you get the real sort of buzz for it. So um, you speak with people that have been in it and as I say, like my background's football, you get that sort of buzz for the, the three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday afternoon. Um, when you're talking about the, the Premier League or the Football League, uh, it's the relationships that you make with people. You you make sort of friends for life. Um, you'll always sort of be learning. You, you know, you're not going to really, or hopefully not become stagnant. You can continuously develop. And that's, I think, certainly for me, one of the things that keeps it interesting that you, you're forever evolving uh, and developing. And yeah, I think, you know, the, the long hours, it's, it's a huge commitment. So you need to let you, uh, make sure you know what you're letting yourself in for. But within that, I don't think I've had jobs previously where you are sort of clock watching and time goes ever so slowly. But I think when you speak with people that work in the strength and conditioning industry, it is very much the opposite. There's not enough hours in the day. And, you know, that's, that's a problem at times, but um it's just quite rewarding so for me i i like the fact that when you're working with uh, an injured player and you need rehabilitation or working with a youth athlete because there's lots of development there you can really see sort of the progress made there's some really clear gains in performance and you know that you've played a part in that so that's quite rewarding to see. Um, similar to obviously if you're in an education setting, teaching somebody and they develop the knowledge. Um, whereas I think at times S&C coaches may not always be rewarded for some of the work that they do. So I think one huge part of it is keeping uh, athletes fit. And S&C coaches obviously contribute to that. Um, not fully but the certainly uh, a part of the puzzle that have an impact on making them athletes fit and if you've got your best athletes fit that team's probably going to be more successful or if it's an individual athlete it might mean that they can compete in that competition and that might help them in terms of their financial gain and their progress so I don't think we're always given the sort of credit in that regard but it's important to recognize that you are having a huge impact um and I think, yeah, that, that's sort of where people, going off on a tangent here a little bit, sorry. Um, that's all right. Sort of look at it. So I think S&C coaches, to get that reward, they're looking at what gains have I made. Um, so if 
head coach asked me, okay, well, what have you done? You need to sort of prove your worth. Naturally for me, I'm going to slide some data in front of them saying, well, I've made all these athletes quicker over 20, 30 meters. Now, to us, that obviously says, yeah, I'm doing my job and it's it's effective. But if we're not having a transfer to performance, so not looking in the context of that athlete's sport, then really how effective is that training that we're doing? So yes, it's making them quick over 20 meters in a straight line. But when it means that they've got to do some sort of curvilinear run, they've got to be reacting to stimuli the whole time. They've got to be working with the opponents, pushing them off. They've got to be uh, able to stop, quickly change direction, go the other way. Unless it has that sort of transfer, you'd sort of question how effective we are. So I think there's just lots of challenges to it. And it, it is making sure that you do see the impact that you're having um, with it. And I, I guess the, the final bit of that is just then relationships that you build. I think it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Excellent. So when, when you are looking at an SNC coach, what was their work week look like? Right. So I know we just chatted a little bit about all the, the different, different tasks that we can do as SNC coaches, but what does, what would the standard work week look like? It could be very general, but like what can people expect if they're not yet in the industry and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to sit in the gym all day and, uh, and have a chat to people. Maybe it's not quite like that. So can you talk us through what might happen on a, on a general day? Yeah, absolutely. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? Just uh, yeah, sort of having a coffee, coffee. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> lift a few weights and stuff, yeah. No, I think it, any, uh, any given week will obviously be very different, but I would probably look at this based on my experience in uh, a team sport environment to say that it might be uh, – it's all based around – sort of the match day environment so you're working either from that whenever that last one was or up to the next one and calling that sort of if it's if we had a match day yesterday today we might be match day plus one or if we've got a match tomorrow we might be match day minus one so the training environment would all be sort of set around that and yeah normal working day you've, you've got an early start you've got to get in early to to be set up I remember sort of um been at a talk once with a ex sort of professional footballer very highly rated and he said the best coach that I had I, I knew because the session was set up when I was driving into that car park and I, he was I was in fairly early I was in for 8 30 the session was set up and I knew that was it I knew they were good because the session was planned it was already set up they weren't making uh, last minute decisions and things like that obviously they adapted yeah so I think you've got to be in early um that gives you time to then plan it might mean that you get your own workout in as well before sort of the uh the mayhem of the day um but you're always probably going to start early then with a sort of mdt meeting so multidisciplinary team meeting with all the other sort of parties whether that be coaches uh medical staff video physios doctors nutritionists psychologists whoever it it may be and That'll sort of give you a plan for the day of of what the focus of um, the the training of that day would be, and that's from both sort of the physical perspective and also what the coaches may want to get out sort of technically tactically. So you can sort of plan for that as you're you're working to it. So um, once the MDT meetings have sort of taken place, you may get if you're lucky, you're in an institution, uh, an organisation where you can get some breakfast then. You may have a little bit of time to do so, and after that, it's sort of uh, hands to the ground. You are you're working, um, and there'll be athletes coming into the gym. 
whether that's just for individual stuff straight away and they know they've got individual programs that they're working on or you may have a gym session sort of straight away early on and that could be anything from mobility it might be a a strength session that some athletes prefer to do before they go out to train others might be after and then you're likely to have um, after that a pre-activation session which just prepares the the athletes before they go out onto the field there'll be a on-field um, conditioning session then so a warm-up but with conditioning focus within that and that's conditioning focus is going to tie in with the technical tactical elements that the coaches are working on that day once that sort of uh, happened then you may be uh, in a position where you're staying out on the field and you're working closely with the coaches, monitoring what's going on, and there could be some GPS work there. It may be that you step away from that and you're doing some form of uh, on-field rehab with any players that are returned to play, and you've got a little bit of one-to-one or sort of smaller group work there. And that's a really good opportunity to sort of build those relationships with those players. Um, or you may be back inside the gym working with them sort of rehab athletes uh, along that journey at the end of the training session though you're highly highly likely to be doing a little bit of individual work with some of those athletes so that might be some speed-based work it might be change of direction agility uh, just based on individual needs there's going to be quite a few people that are after your sort of time and your expertise and that makes it a little bit more challenging to go and get your lunch because you've got stuff on in the afternoons, so you've got to find time to organise that. And then the likelihood in the afternoon, again, on it could change day to day. You're probably going to have uh, a strength session in the afternoon, whether that be with the, the whole team or just individuals again. So the rehab sort of athletes may take a little bit of uh, time there that you're focusing on. And then I think once you've sort of finished your sessions where you're in contact with the athletes, it's about going away and analysing what you've done that day looking at that sort of data that you've collected and then using that to sort of program and inform future steps and then you're going to finish with probably an mdt meeting um, to summarize the the day so i think that's probably like a um, a snapshot day but some of them may be shorter dependent on where you are in that working week Um, some of them may involve travel to different um, opposition uh, depend whether you travel with the uh, the team or not and then i think if you look at it from uh sort of an independent snc coach uh that might work in the private sector and they're in business for them it might look a little bit different it's it's again going to be an early start because you're catching people before they go into work and you may get in there do your planning your programming beforehand set up and then you're probably just going to have a full day of back-to-back sessions and it's hard work. It's uh, it's it's quite draining, but really, really fun, really rewarding. And again, you probably get a little bit of a break for lunch, and then finish off um, sort of mid afternoon, maybe. And if you're lucky enough to get more clients in the evening, then again, you you go again. But um, yeah, so it's a quite full on, but the, the, yeah, really, really um, beneficial to see the progress that sort of people make. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So, when when you describe a workday like that, obviously there's lots of different tasks going on there. What what kind of a, a knowledge and skill base do those practitioners need to have? Because it's diverse. There's lots of different things going on, and I know we could talk for about three hours on this. So, like, 
a whistle-stop tour of what, what SSC coaches need to be able to do in order to execute those tasks proficiently? Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I could uh, dive into one of the lectures here and uh, like just like the board of students uh, going on and on. So I think you've, if you look at sort of uh, the professional bodies, they've got competency documents that clearly highlight the knowledge base that is needed for an SNC coach. And to gain an accreditation, obviously, you've got to demonstrate that knowledge and those competencies. So you're looking at things like your sort of anatomy, physiology, um, understanding of sort of physiological adaptations, biomechanics, bioenergetics, um, lots of information like that. Because we're, we're essentially, we're looking at the human body and how to improve performance in that. So um, you, you look at any degree program and it'll cover a lot of the same information. And I think you've got testing uh, and monitoring athletes in there. You've got analyzing data and then reporting that back. We've got understanding of program design and what's going to be ben most beneficial for that individual athlete in order to sort of induce the adaptation and performance enhancement. And I think, again, like obviously I mentioned working with rehab uh, athletes before, understanding that sort of uh, tissue repair and that rehabilitation process and probably one of the, the the key things would be just knowing or from my point of view and experience of working with students is knowing the exercises and really having an understanding of the technique that you're looking for and then sort of the the library of progressions and regressions so you're adaptable and the basis for that would always be the technical model now whether that's that you pick that up off somebody else or you're sort of implementing and devising your own of multiple different sources, I think that's crucial to have and that will help develop someone's coaching eye. And I think the key one then, and you sort of hear this more and more and it's coming out in the literature a lot more now, is there's so many people that, that have the knowledge and there's people that maybe graduate from a strength and conditioning programme um, from multiple different institutions year on year go for an interview and they don't necessarily have the capacity to be able to coach and that's probably one of the key things because obviously we're talking about strength and conditioning here and you're employed as a strength and conditioning coach so actually developing them coaching skills is crucial so that could be just something like being able to just pick somebody up it might be if you've got somebody disruptive in your group and how are you going to manage that whilst everyone else is still doing their session without that breaking down it might be how am I going to manage a group of 100 athletes here what am I going to do um, and organize that and I, I often sort of say to um, the groups that I work with look we get S&C coaches and they're, they're going to be on a continuum they're going to be one end we've got science and the other end we've got coach so at that science end people will be able to write an unbelievable program they'll be able to tell you exactly why they're doing what they're doing and all of the physiological adaptations that they're trying to induce. But they may not be able to deliver it when it actually comes to executing it, and therefore they lose the, the athletes. At the other end, we'll have a, a very good coach. They may not be able to tell you sort of physiologically and scientifically why they're doing what they're doing, but they'll be able to pick up a program and deliver it to a very good level, and the athletes will probably take a lot from it. And I think where sort of we try and aim or I try and aim in my work is bringing both of them together so you sort of meet in the middle of that continuum. And yeah, I think if, if, if you've got that sort of 
science knowledge and coaching knowledge, you'll develop into a well-rounded practitioner. And are there, are there any skills then that you think oh, that can really set you apart? So let's say you've got both those those knowledge bases and you can do both of those things. Are there any, maybe one or two skills you think, oh, that's going to set this person above the rest? Yeah, good question. I think um, it's, I'm going to say communication skills, but that's so broad and so varied. Um, and I think probably a large part of that then is the listening side. So I think um, a lot of people will, or say people, athletes will develop some fantastic relationships with S&C coach because they spend an awful lot of time with them in that setting. And so they want to trust them. And I think being able to listen and sort of um, build that trust with that athlete, build that rapport is, is huge. So just like active listening skills where you're actually appreciating what that individual is saying to you, the conversation they're having, the body language that you're sort of offering and not being distracted by other things going on around, um, sort of repeating back to them. So so they feel heard because I think a lot of the time that the perception of, of athletes is um that you know they've got unbelievable lifestyles when you talk to them on that level they're completely normal human beings um they just want to have a chat and i think then sort of tying in with that would be uh emotional intelligence so just sort of gaining an understanding of where that person is because you see it quite a lot where we've got a program written and we we might think this is the best program we've we've ever written and we're pretty excited about it when that i'm going to absolutely smash this today um when they when the athletes arrive this is going to be unbelievable but then those athletes might come in they might have um had a breakup in a relationship they might have had two hours sleep because their kids were up all night um and then you've got to be adaptable because of that so you've got to sort of see that and then you know put your creative hat on and think actually now do you know what i've got to change what i'm doing um I think probably that other the other one that I would say there because we could say there's loads of skills would just be that sort of adaptability and creativeness. Um, you know, I've had experiences where you're planning your gym session and you're in the gym, but for whatever reason, that's now out of bounds. So, okay, do we cancel the session or do we still put it on? Um, so, I think it's just having that sort of creativity and thinking, okay, well, what can we do here to to still give give the athletes the stimulus that we're after? Um, but without maybe the resources that we'd planned for. Excellent stuff. So when you've got that list of skills and competencies that you're like, oh, you know what? Like, I know that I need to be adaptable. I know that I need to have great buy into my programs and great emotional intelligence. Um, next to all of all, obviously the knowledge-based skills. How do people go about enhancing those skills to a level which will then get them a job? So how do they develop those things um, in order to actually be someone who who could be employable, when they do get to an interview, people are like, oh yeah, that person's really like really switched on. They know what they're doing. Uh, we've seen them coaching a little bit, and yeah, they they can make a difference here. Yeah, it's it's going to come back to that one word, um, experience. It's uh, it's it's crucial, I think. So as soon as we our new students come through the door, sort of at level four. Um, whether that be sort of they're 18, 19 years old or the mature students and, and 40, 45 years old, it's, it's about pushing them to get experience from day one. Um, we try and sort of offer opportunities ourselves for that, but it's got to be sort of that internal intrinsic motivation for people to go and get that because 
um, you're not going to, unless you, we can talk about it all day, how we're going to manage that group of athletes. So we've got 50 athletes in front of us and they all want to be doing something and we can discuss here back and forth. Okay, we're going to do this and this. We don't know whether that'll work unless we've been in that situation, that environment. So I think you've just got to go out and get that experience. Now, whether that is uh, the population that you want to be working with long-term, early on it doesn't matter because you're still developing those skills, as you say, of, uh, right, I've, I've got that emotional intelligence, I'm developing the communication. And that could be going into your old school, so contacting an old teacher that you may still know, kind of come in and just sort of do some observations of how you work with your um, pupils. It might be a local sports team kind of going um, offer some support. So ideally, it would definitely be in a paid role, but it might be that I just volunteer my services early on. And if I'm lucky enough that there's actually an SNC coach there already, I can go and learn from them and that would be brilliant. It might be that I just have to go and embrace it and go, do you know what? I am learning, I am volunteering here, but I'm going to throw myself in the deep end and I'm going to give it a go. And I remember on my very first sort of session working in non-league football, I was a bit of a uh, shivering wreck just from the nerves. And it was at the end of that session, one of the sort of senior players came and put his arm around me and was like, what are you nervous about? We're, you know, we're just a group of lads. And it, it took that for me to sort of realise, do you know what? It is, yeah. I shouldn't be that nervous. So I think you've got to put yourself in that situation. Um, and if you can find that experience, and that might be an internship, it might be a, a, an official placement, where you get uh, a coach as a mentor, you're going to be in a real good position because they'll be able to sort of give you the information that you need. They'll be able to upskill you personally. And that might be that you're delivering parts of a session or a session or, or planning it and they'll feed back to you based on what they've seen and that there's probably no more valuable information that you can get from that and, and that's on that one-to-one level yeah brilliant stuff so when when we take all of that into account right and we're going to get to the, the the last part of this whole story you've done all the education stuff you've developed your skills you've got some experience how do you get a job so it's, I guess it's about just building on that experience that you've got. So if you've got the experience, it's going to be so much easier because when you're in the interview and, well, let's say uh, sort of before you get to the interview, you want to be, you, the purpose of your CV is to get you an interview. So you want to be putting yourself in the best possible position to get the interview. So that means sort of decorating your CV and building it up as best as you possibly can. So showcasing your qualifications, the skills you have, but then probably the crucial one is is that experience. And that says to a lot of employers, right, okay, this person is already going to be sort of along their journey, along the pathway, and it might save them some time in terms of upskilling. It might be the exact fit, what they're looking for, but it's to get you that interview. When you get to the interview, though, all interviews are obviously different in terms of their setup, but there's quite often the practical element where you're actually doing a coaching aspect and if that's your first ever exposure going into it, you're probably not going to be as strong as some candidates that have done that multiple times and are able to work with any of the challenges that, that might come and, and showcase them skills. And that's obviously the experience side, but I think a lot of it now is about networking. So you may not hear of jobs come up 
Um, it might be that somebody just sort of identifies, right, this person would be great for this role. Um, it could be you asking me, do I know anyone for a position that you've got or vice versa? And Yeah, I know this person. So networking, getting out to any events that are, are, that are available, conferences, um, special interest groups, whatever it is, uh, volunteering. And I think you, you've got to start somewhere, though. So we'd all ideally like to be working, I don't know, in your chosen sport at the top level, if that's the population you want to work with, and be getting you know, paid a, a brilliant salary. But the reality is we have to start at the bottom of the ladder and, and work up. So whether that means volunteering and then that turns into a paid role, uh, and that, that could be the same in, in an internship, that might turn into a paid role. Um, but just contacting lots of local organisations, teams that, that may be able to give you that um, first job opportunity but I think again, yeah, it's, it's sort of realizing we are at the bottom of the ladder, or you know, towards it, rather than jumping straight in at the top. But using your network, using the people you know, using your skills, and yeah, I think first and foremost, make sure your CV is right um, in order just to get you that interview, and then just show your passion and enthusiasm of, of why you want to be there and what you're going to bring, and I think that will go a long way. Brilliant stuff. So, Darren, massive thanks for your time and efforts today. It's been a pleasure talking. Where can people find a little bit more information about you and what you're up to? So, probably best is on LinkedIn, just uh, just under Darren Chesworth. And uh, other than that, it would just be sort of email at uh, my UCB sort of email address. So, um, d.chesworth at ucb.ac.uk. Uh, happy to any anyone sort of get in contact, have conversations, and um, yeah, go from there. Brilliant. So, Darren, massive thanks, and I look forward to speaking again soon. Cool. Thanks very much, Matt. Cheers, buddy. LinkedIn, just uh, just under Darren Chesworth. And uh, other than that, it would just be sort of email at uh, my UCB sort of email address. So, um, d.chesworth at ucb.ac.uk. Uh, happy to any anyone sort of get in contact, have conversations, and um, yeah, go from there. Brilliant. So, Darren, massive thanks, and I look forward to speaking again soon. Cool. Thanks very much, Matt. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, buddy. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Darren for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science Support Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses which are broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get your hands on some more great sports science information, get yourself into the coach academy completely for free for the next seven days using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time so if you enjoyed today's podcast and you want to hear more from darren you can do that completely for free in just a second and of course if you have enjoyed today's podcast it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach a colleague an athlete or a friend that means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content and that's it once again a massive thanks from me i'm matt solomon for science support and i'll speak to you next week